Today's episode of The Metrospective is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Welcome to the Metrospective, episode number 72. Uh, We've named it for John Matlack, won the uh, Rookie of the Year Award with the Mets back in 1972. And uh, we'll we'll jump back not quite that far in the Wayback Machine, and we'll go back to 2003-2004. The manager of those Mets teams uh, won Art Howe, uh, came over after... Uh, a successful stint in Oakland. And uh, Art, it's great to have you on the podcast with uh, myself, Pete McCarthy, as well as Tim Britton. Uh, how are you? What have you been up to over these uh, these last few years, Art? Well, actually, just kind of taking it easy. I, I was doing a little pre and post with the Astros after I kind of retired there and uh, enjoyed that for quite a few years. And probably the last two to three, I've just... Uh, Totally retired and just watching baseball when I get the chance. Yeah, are, are there teams you like to, you know, obviously it's it's weird now when we're talking uh, without baseball, but were there teams that you, you really enjoyed watching specifically the last couple of years? I imagine Houston among them. Oh, yeah. The Astros definitely because uh, they obviously weren't, were one of the better teams in all of baseball the last about three or four years. So it was fun watching them and uh, I would go in and speak to groups during and and before some of their games the last few years. So I stayed involved with the, the the Astro organization, but I followed all my old teams, you know, the Mets and the A's, and tried to you know keep an eye on how those teams were doing. I guess the fact that you watched the Astros over the years begs the follow up. What were your thoughts with the uh, the, the scandal that emerged this off season? Well, it's too bad. You know, I mean, obviously they've had a couple of really outstanding seasons and you hate to see it tainted the way this thing has really come around. And I'm kind of embarrassed by it that one of my old organizations got hooked up in something like this. But I think they're going to take the brunt of it if they ever get back to playing baseball, uh, get it out of the way this year and, and move on. But I'm I'm sure glad that they're going to clean this thing up and and move on and have everything be more of a level playing field for everyone. As a lifelong yeah. baseball man, did it did it surprise you that something like this could happen? Yeah, especially the way it was <laughs> banging on garbage cans and everything. You'd think uh, other teams would have caught on to it a lot sooner than they did, and uh, the complaints would have came forward a lot sooner, but. You, you would think that, you know, on other teams, you, you'd hear the banging and kind of put two and two together at some point. But obviously, they, they must have done a better job of it than uh, anybody would ever thought they would have. Yeah, when you were managing, obviously, teams didn't have access to the, like that replay room right behind the dugout. How, how much concern was there about teams trying to steal your signs and how, how protective were you of, of your signs at that point? 
Oh, you're very protective. I mean, that was a that's a lost art. I mean, every team when I came to the big leagues with the Pirates, it was a veteran ball club, and and I was the 25th man on the roster, so I was just sitting on the bench listening and learning and listening to these veteran guys picking uh, picking up signs from the other clubs and picking up things on the opposing pitcher, how he was giving away certain pitches. And it really became fun to even look for that kind of stuff, especially since you weren't playing. You wanted to try to help the team in some fashion, but everybody was doing it that way. I mean, that's that's part of the game. And when you're on second base trying to pick up the signs from the catcher, and, you know, obviously they had multiple signs, so it was more difficult to pick it up from second base. But if you could or – Give away, give away location to the hitter to help him out a little, but that's about as far as it went uh, with the videos and and what what they had to use these days. Uh, it became a little bit more than a, a, an art, <laughs> or just trying to pick things up from other clubs. Yeah, it was a, a science, a math, uh, all of it uh, <laughs> all rolled into one uh, there. Uh, apparently, as far as we know. Um, you know, the Astros and maybe some other teams as well still being uh, investigated there. But uh, we brought John Art to, to talk about your years as the manager of the New York Mets in 2003, 2004. And I guess uh, we'll, we'll start with the exit from Oakland and, and, of course, coming to the Mets. And there were, uh, you know, lots of rumors about Lou Pinella for the Mets as they were trying to swing a deal with Seattle at the time, and he ended up going to, to Tampa Bay. I mean, what do you remember about that offseason and the uncertainty that I'm sure w- was all around it for you uh, being in that spot? Well, it was a crazy offseason, to be honest with you. I had a year left on my contract with the Oakland A's, so I I really wasn't out looking for a job. And uh, everybody, I think, in baseball figured Lou Pinella was going to end up with the, with the Mets because uh, his relationship with the Yankees being a New York kind of guy, and he ended up going to Tampa Bay out of, you know, out of the clear blues. And I think everybody was kind of surprised by that. And then I started getting calls uh, from the Mets uh, interested in me, and Billy Bean gave him the right to speak to me. And uh, I guess you could say the, the rest is history. Uh, Steve Phillips was a GM at the time, and yeah, Steve interviewed me, and we kind of hit it off. And uh, I guess you say the rest is history. Yeah, what were your kind of expectations for that team? Coming off of a, a down season in 2002, obviously, but a lot of veterans with track records. You know, you had Piazza and Mo Vaughn and Roberto Alomar and Jeremy Burnitz, and I don't know if any of those guys actually played the full season for you in, in 2003, but what were the yeah, expectations was... coming into the year? Well, you know, they had had a losing record the year before, and and I uh, was in the American League for so many years that I had to really get acquainted with the team in that spring training. That's what I used spring training for was, a, in a way, evaluate the team I was getting. And uh, the fact of the matter is you, you did mention a couple injuries there. You know, Mo Vaughn came out of spring training with, two, with really bad knees. Uh, it was bone on bone on his one knee. And uh, he played a total of like 27 games for us that year. And uh, so he was scheduled to hit third for us that year. So we lost Mo right out of the shoot. He, I think he played the first week of the season. And he really shouldn't even have played then. He could hardly move. And then Mike 
Piazza, he was my cleanup hitter the one, after the first month of the season. If you recall, he tore his groin muscle and missed the next three months. So my three, four hitters were gone for the, the bulk of the season. And my number two starter, Pedro Estacio, I think he made one start, maybe two, and blew his arm out. So right out of the shoot, it was a little tough on us to get things rolling. But as you mentioned, we had a, a veteran ball club. We had over 20 guys on the roster that year that were 30 years or older. And uh, we just didn't get off to a good start and never got a chance to get it rolling. What about someone like Robbie Alomar? I mean, this is a Hall of Fame talent. And granted, he struggled in the entirety of 2002 as well before you got there. But I think at the time it was, all right, he'll he'll bounce back. What was it at that point? He just fell off a cliff? Or was there um, you know, something else you could think of as for a reason why Mets fans didn't no, I, see the Hall of Famer Robbie Alomar? No, it's, it was age, yeah. really. He was 35 years old, if I recall, something like that. And sometimes it catches up to you faster than other guys do. And he just wasn't the same Robbie Alomar that, you know, everybody was, you know, spoiled watching. I mean, he was he was a tremendous player yeah. throughout his career. And, and it's a shame that, you know, he came there at the really at the tail end and just couldn't put things together. Hey, Shea Stadium wasn't a hitter's ballpark by any means either. <laughs> it's a tough park to hit in and you know, it was a pitcher's delight at that time. What's it like when you're you're managing a, a veteran team that, that has a, a rough start like that, has the injuries, and kind of things go south early? You know, I've, I've covered a couple teams like that, and it, it's not the happiest clubhouse over the course of a season. How, how do you try to keep guys uh, going through a season like that, especially when you've got some younger guys? You know, you had Reyes and Wright coming up during your time there that are coming into that atmosphere. Well, you know, the, the thing is with a veteran club, they're – they're professionals. You know, they know it's it's a long season and you're going to have some injuries here and there. And we, like we said, we had our share, obviously, right out of the chute. But uh, I thought the veteran guys on the club were outstanding. You know, Tom Glavin, Al Leiter, guys like that, Steve Traxel. You know, they, they held the pitching staff together and uh, did a great job going out there every fifth day, giving me what they had. And and we, you know, we weren't scoring a whole lot of runs because the middle of our order was gone. So they had to go out there and basically try to shut the other club down, you know, hold them to a minimum. But, you know, uh, Al Leiter had a good year for us. Traxel had a good year. But at the same time, Glavin, it was his first time away from Atlanta, and he was making adjustments. You know, people don't realize, I think, about that time, Questec came in. And, you know, when... I don't know how much you, you watched the Braves pitch, but uh, that strike zone was pretty wide for them down there in Atlanta. And Tom had to make an adjustment while he came to New York, and they weren't giving him that outside corner very much. And, you know, he wasn't overpowering by any means, but he had great command. And it took him a year or two to really start pitching inside again. And once he did that, he started pitching great again. I think every Mets fan knows that the the Braves got that extra ball off the off the outside corner watching Glavin all those years. Yeah, they 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 took advantage of it. You have to give them credit. Did you feel as a manager like you had to try to find a way to get those extra couple of inches that you know, you, you could? I understand Quest Tech was probably the bigger thing, but that you could argue your way almost to try to get him that extra inch or two he needed. 
Oh, you tried, you know, but back then they actually threw us out of games. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one thing you weren't allowed to do is argue balls and strikes because that was an automatic ejection. So, you know, in between innings, you might go out there and try to schmooze the umpire a little bit and say, hey, come on, give me a little, a little break here, you know. But uh, uh, it, it really, they were being judged all of a sudden, mm-hmm. the umpires. So you you could understand why they started to, to tighten that zone up a lot and because they were literally being evaluated on it. What was it like when uh, when Jose Reyes came up that year for you in, in 03? What was it like to see him, that, that first glimpse of him at a major league field? Well, it was a tough situation because, if you recall, we had Kaz Matsui at the time. And uh, one of the, part of the deal with Kaz was that he was going to get to play shortstop his first year with us. And the minute I saw Jose in spring training, I thought to myself, whoa, you know, I think I got the wrong guy playing shortstop. <laughs> but uh, there's nothing much I could do about that. And and Jose right away got hurt playing second base in spring training, if you recall. Mm-hmm. And he really didn't start the season healthy. He was on the DL for quite a while. And and in my heart, I, I, I don't believe he really enjoyed playing second base because he knew he should he should have been playing shortstop probably, but the the following year he got a chance to play shortstop and everybody in New York saw what a great young player they had on their hands and the second year is when David Wright came up about mid season and uh, everybody realized what we had there. I mean, what a fine young man, number one, but an outstanding player and you know another Hall of Fame type player. What was your first impression of, of David, whether it be, I guess, spring training, even in 03, or uh, when he did come up in 04? Well, like I said, I mean, you can't help but be impressed with the young man. Tremendous worker, just a, a great teammate. Uh, he probably would have caught if you asked him to catch. That's the kind of kid he was. But uh, just outstanding and could drive the ball to all fields. I think that stood out right away. Usually, you know, young players, they don't handle the bat as well as David did. I mean, if you pitch him away, he drove the ball away. If you pitch him in, he could turn on it. And usually it took players longer to learn how to turn on the balls. But David was a a complete hitter from day one and uh, just a true gentleman, a great Met met from day one and he loved the fans there and uh, he couldn't wait to get on the field. Uh, You know, we kind of held him back a little bit, I think, before we brought him up so we could keep him out of that free agency year one time, you know, for one year. So because we we knew we were going to have to pay him big time once that six years came up. We talked to, to Bobby Valentine a couple of weeks ago about kind of the challenges of managing Mike Piazza when your catcher is your best hitter uh, and you're, you're trying to figure out when to rest him and when not to. You had the, the challenge in, in 2004 where you're trying to play him a little bit at first base as well. How delicate is that for a manager with a player of Mike's stature trying to get him out from behind the plate a little bit? Uh, it was very delicate. Uh, it was one of the things I probably wish I hadn't done because – my, my respect for Mike, uh, he, you know, he had never played the infield. He was behind the plate catching every day. His whole career was a Hall of Fame catcher. But at the same time, we had a couple of young catchers on the club. And, 
you know, Mike's throwing wasn't quite up to snuff at that time. And we just felt that that was probably the easiest transition for him. But he actually ended up, I think, playing first base more that year than he did catch. But the very next year when Willie came in there, they got him back behind a plate where he belonged. But I give Mike a ton of credit because, you know, he could have given me a, a lot of trouble with moving to first. But he, he was a great team player. He, he told me, whatever is best for the team, I'll do it. And so it was an experiment that didn't really work. But I give him all the credit in the world for making it easier for me. Uh, he was a class act all the way. Big picture. What, what do you think back on those two years with the Mets? Well, you know, when I came over there, I knew, you know, we were pretty long in the tooth, to be honest with you, with the club I, I assumed. And I had rebuilt in Houston and in Oakland. And I thought, well, you know, I got a four-year contract and, my hope was that we were going to build a championship club, you know, because I thought some of these guys were, you know, going to have to move on and we we're kind of treading water with a lot of them. And, uh, but I found out as soon as I got there, you don't rebuild in New York. <laughs> so, uh, we tried to do the best we could with the talent we had, but I wish we could have, you know, built up the minor leagues a little bit and brought some kids along like a David Wright and a Jose Reyes and, and put more of those young product guys around those guys. So they could have had a, a real good club for quite a while to, to come, but well, you think it about just it. didn't work out. I mean, you had the four year deal. Oh, three, Oh, four, Oh, five, Oh, six. And, and the team famously was what a, a pitch away in Oh, six from going to the world series. But after, um, you know, you're dismissed at the end of Oh, four, Carlos Beltran comes in, Pedro Martinez comes in, and there were a lot of changes throughout the organization. I suppose, what was it like for you if you, you know, did follow up with the Mets were doing in 05 and then the run in 06? I was drooling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Delgado at first. I mean, they, yeah. they really put a nice product on the field. I know that, you know, the ownership, you know, paid a lot of money to do it. And that's the one thing I'll give the Wilpons. They wanted they wanted to do whatever they could to put a winner on the field for the for the fans. And uh, they they did the best they could. They had a couple bad contracts when I got there. Uh, a couple guys that they were you know we kind of had to eat the eat the thing you know. Uh, but uh, they did want to win for the Mets, and uh, I think that's probably true to this day. Uh, they did everything they possibly could to bring a winner there. We just uh, just couldn't do it. Yeah, ha having gone through that experience in New York versus what you've gone through in, in Houston and Oakland, what, what kind of advice would you have to a, a first-year manager, a guy like Luis Rojas coming in this year with the Mets? Uh, what advice would you pass on to him uh, for his first season with New York? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. The media there is a little unique. It's different than anywhere <clears throat> anywhere else that I managed. Uh, but uh, there's so many newspapers and so much coverage that uh, that's the bulk of your job, really, handling the media there and and uh, doing the best you can with them. Because the players, they come to the park to play. They're the last problem you have. I mean, they all want to get out on the field. The only problem is you can only put, you know, nine of them out there at one time. But 
you know, the media is someone is a different animal there and you, you have to deal with them and do the best you can. Would you do it over again? Would you would you take on the Mets job? And I'm not sure exactly what your options were at the time there after uh, the, the 2002 season, but would, would you do it all again? Well, I said I had another year with the yeah. A's and they won 103 games the year, the year I left and they went to the playoffs the year I left. So, uh, you know, I probably would have stayed there, but no, I, I would I would have done it again. You know, it was a great learning experience for me. I met a made a lot of friends there in New York, some wonderful people. Everybody around the ball club was just wonderful to me. So it was a it was a, a learning experience, but uh, it just didn't turn out the way I'd hoped. Now, speaking of uh, your time in, in Oakland there, I know years ago you were upset with Billy Bean for how you were portrayed in Moneyball, which the, the movie, uh, which, I mean, look, anybody who's seen the movie and has followed your career and what you did can can understand your point of view there. I, I'm not sure exactly you know, what they did with your character, kind of making them, I don't know, I guess uh, a, 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 an old school thought or, or something along those lines. How about villain? Villain, uh, whatever it is. Yeah, somebody, <laughs> somebody the Yang with Billy Bean. Well, I'm curious, have you ever talked to Billy about it or, or squared that away in the years since? I talked to Billy a few years later. I went out there for some kind of reunion or whatever. And, uh, uh, yeah, I don't think that there was any, anything to be said about the movie between the two of us, but, uh, he kind of apologized to me with, because of our relationship when I was there, the way he handled things. So that was, that was good enough for me. You know, I, I didn't need it to be exposed everywhere between the two of us, you know, I guess you'd say we patched things up, but I, I never had a problem. Billy played for me in winter ball one year. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, as a GM, I thought Billy was outstanding. I did a great job with the amount of money that he had to, to do things with. He gave me the material to win, and that's all a manager can ask for. Uh, you know, you don't always see eye to eye with your boss, uh, and we discussed a lot of things. I didn't agree with a lot of things he he thought were, were great. I'm a little bit of old school. I'll admit I like to bunt. I like to hit and run. I like to steal. And I don't know if he liked any of those, <laughs> to be honest with you. But if I know a guy's going to steal second base nine out of ten times against a certain pitcher and catcher, why would I stay at first base and move him up 90 feet? You know, And, and if I know my three, four, five hitters are coming up in the ninth inning and I got the leadoff man on first and the two hitter up, in the tie ball game, I'd like to give my three, four, five hitters a chance to drive in a winning run from second base. I'm going to bunt them up, give them a chance to do that. So those are the kinds of debates we had. Uh, you know, I tried to explain to them, you know, it's not all cut and dried. You know, it, it's not, uh, it depends on, in baseball, is, no two situations are the same. You know, uh, depends on who you have coming up. Uh, who who's pitching for you, how you go about managing a game. You know, you, you play some games tight to the vest because you know it's going to be a, a low-scoring game because both of the starting pitchers are outstanding. Other days, maybe your two-fifth starters are pitching. You better score some runs because there are going to be some runs scored. So you play different games differently. Situations are all different. Human beings are all different. you got to know your talent, know what – the players you have, what they're capable of doing. 
and don't put them in a situation where they can't succeed, if at all possible. And that's, that's all the kind of things that come into managing. And let your players know you're behind them 100%, and they're going to go out there and do everything they can for you. Do you, you, know, you talk about you like bunting and stealing. You don't have a lot of that in today's game. Do you, I know. Do you enjoy watching the game in the same way? Are you able to look past those things and just say, all right, it's a different era, that they're crunching the numbers in a different way? Yeah, I try to do that, but it's, you know, I think it's become a boring game to a certain extent. It's just swing from your butt and try to hit a home run offensively. And, uh, you know, pitching wise, it's, you know, you strike, everybody strikes out nine hitters now if you're out there long enough. I mean, everybody punch outs in this game. They don't, you know, that's where the putting the ball in play is so important, you know. And I'm not saying choke up or whatever, but, you know, you know, spread out a little bit when you got two strikes. And if a man's on second, do your job if there's nobody out. At least move the runner over, get a quality out. You know, play team baseball. You know, they, they say it's a small ball. You know, it's, it's not small ball. It's baseball, period. I wanted to ask you kind of a question about your playing days. You know, maybe your best season was 1981 in Houston, and that was the split season. You guys had, you know, the first half of the season and, and didn't play for the, the middle part and then came back the second half. What was that like as a player to to go through? Because it's kind of a little bit similar to what players are going through now where you're you're playing a season, you're all ready for it, and then you've got to ramp down for a little bit. Yeah, that was that was quite a <laughs> quite a season because uh we were we were out of work for quite a while there mid season there and yeah I think I actually took my family to Vegas to visit a friend of mine who lived there and and they, we were actually there visiting when they finally ended the strike I worked out for a couple of weeks afterward thinking it was going to be a short strike and or at least hoping it was going to be but when it started you know going on and on that's when everybody I think said well better have some fun then, go on vacation. And that's what I did. But when we came back, I think we just started with the All-Star game or something mm -hmm. like that. And uh, then went right into the second half. So we didn't have a spring training or anything to get your stroke back. And uh, so it was a little difficult to get it going again, especially when you didn't have BP, BP for quite a while. That would be the, the challenge for everybody now after uh, this layoff. And I, I imagine, I, I guess, my thought was it would affect the pitchers more to have this layup and then ramp it back up. But of late, I've heard more people talk about, look, it's tougher for the hitters because you can't replicate going up against a 90-something-mile-per-hour fastball. You got that right. I mean, you can pick up a ball and throw it anywhere. You know, you can find a wall if you have to and, and you know, simulate your pitching to a hitter or whatever. Just throw it. When I was a kid, that's all I did was throw balls against the wall. But as a hitter... You need to face that ball coming in, face some live pitching, keep your stroke together. And hitting's the hardest thing in any sport. So definitely, it's more difficult to get your stroke going than it is throwing a baseball. Trust me. Well, I guess uh, hopefully we get to see how it plays out at some point and, and get some baseball here. I know Tim and I very much miss it. There's so many fans uh, missing baseball and at the very least, uh, the distraction would be well-served uh, for many people right now. But, uh, Art Howe, uh, we really appreciate you reliving some of your Mets years and uh, your career with us. And uh, thank you so much for the time, Art. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Art. I appreciate it, Pete and Tim. Very nice talking to you both. 
Have a good day and stay safe. Well, great to catch up with Art Howe, doing well these days, and uh, one of the the, the gentlemen of uh, in in the Mets history of what he was able to do uh, in those two years as Mets manager, even if there weren't as many wins as uh, Mets fans would have liked uh, in those two years. Uh, but we'll have another podcast for you on Tuesday morning. It will be our 73rd, Tim, and the number 73 has been worn by four different Mets over the years, according to the Ultimates database. Kenny Rogers, Ricardo Rincon, Robert Carson, and Daniel Zamora. Those are the four. And, yes, it was Kenny Rogers in that 1999 season wearing 73. So, Tim, it's on you. What do you got? Do I need to get on my soapbox and remind everyone how good Kenny Rogers was down the stretch? Five and one down the stretch in 99. They needed every one of them. Uh, but yeah, we're all heartbroken about what happened. I, I did not go to school the day after game six because wow. I was too sad. Um, so <laughs> I think we're you were allowed to stay that. up. <laughs> well, yeah, I had I had successfully argued for that at that point. It was, it was actually uh, the night of game six was my 13th birthday. <laughs> um, wow. Well, I was two years older than you. I had to listen to Bob Murphy uh, in the bedroom with the lights off, Mm -hmm. listen to the radio, and and try to determine what was happening. So uh, you were fortunate, my friend, or a better negotiator than I was. (laughs) Right, yeah. The the Game 7 loss to the Cardinals, that was also my birthday. Uh, so it's a it's a rough day for the Mets. So let, let's go to 1973, a better better season overall, at least with the playoffs, uh, when, when the Mets got into the World Series, came a game away uh, from beating the juggernaut Oakland A's. And I'm going to go off the board a little bit. I'm going to go with the manager of that 1973 team, Yogi Berra, uh, who, who had taken over under uh, really difficult circumstances the year before with Gil Hodges uh, dying in, in spring training in 1972. Uh, and then shepherding the Mets to a pretty good season in 72, actually a better record in 72 than they had in 73, but getting them all the way to a, a game seven. Uh, there will be plenty of fans upset about his decision to start Tom Seaver on three days rest in game six, rather <laughs> than say. George Stone. Uh, but I, I, I don't want to denigrate his entire career as a manager for that one decision. No, and, and being fortunate enough to listen to Howie Rose on the radio broadcast, uh, you know, so much over the years, he he gets wound up when whenever that happens to work its way into a, a broadcast. Still, uh, to this day, and now how he can tweet about it uh, has has joined us uh, on the social media world. If you want to track down Howie, I'm sure you've already uh, done so. But at Howie Rose, uh, he is he is there for real, which is uh, you know again uh, one of those signs of the apocalypse that might be closer than we thought. I suppose Tim. Consider the naming of this episode, me trolling Howie via Twitter. <laughs> okay. We'll, uh, we'll make sure to tag him when it's uh, promoted online. But, uh, hey, we, we appreciate you joining us once again here for the Metrospective. Again, we'll be back with you on Tuesday morning. For Tim Britton, our producer, Adam Gracia, and, of course, uh, Art Howe. A big thanks to Art again for joining us. Uh, I'm Pete McCarthy. Stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, always a pleasure, Tim. Adios, Pete.